We'll turn together now to the Old Testament and to the book of the Song of Solomon and we're reading chapter 2. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Let us hear the word of God. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or wake, awaken love until it pleases. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine and I am his, he graces among the lilies, until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. Amen. This is the word of God. We trust that he will bless to us that reading from it. Now we know together and very often to our cost, we know that life is always subject to change. There is change all around us in our homes and in our families. There are changes in relationships, there are changes in experiences, and also from time to time, changes in our faith. As we read through this story, it reminds us of these changes in a very pictorial way. And when you read this book, it is the story of King Solomon and a Shulamite woman King Solomon and his bride, and we follow the story of the king as he awaits for the marriage day, for the wedding day, and the way in which that relationship works as they wait for that special day. And in everyday terms, we know that there can be challenges for brides and grooms when they are preparing for the wedding day. There are challenges along the way. 
When we do read this book, we need to remind ourselves that it is a story about the love of Jesus Christ for his church. When we read the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see clear examples of the fact that Jesus is the bridegroom of his people and that his people are the bride of Jesus. That's what we have here. That is that commitment of husband and wife, of Jesus to the church and of the church to Jesus. And when we move closely to this part of this chapter, we're going to look in particular at verse number 14 to 17. And when we read at verse number 8, we see that from verse number 8 to verse 13, we have a special time and a special experience. It's a time of Jesus coming. It's a time of excitement that he is coming. It's a time of him looking into our lives. It's a time of him speaking to us and us speaking to him. It's a time where he's saying to us, the cold times, the winter has gone, and the time has now come for there to be fruit, for there to be blessing, for our lives together to flourish. And every time we, we come to hear the gospel, we do so with the prayer, and perhaps we should do so more with the expectation that Jesus, our Savior, will do exactly that, that he will come here, that he will knock at our door, that he will open our door, that he will come and, and remind us of the preciousness of his love and when it is working in life, how special a moment and a time that is. From verse 14 onwards, we see that there is change. And I want today to think of the words from verse 14 to verse 17 and to think of the rekindling of love for Jesus. I want us to see, first of all, that we have a reconnection in these verses. When something breaks down, when the line is broken and there is no power to my lights and there is no power to my internet and to my, to my wireless, that when the power breaks down, I need a reconnection. And the same is true in our relationship with Jesus as our Savior. There are times when things fail. There is a disconnect in the power and in the life that comes through that power. And here we see the king reconnecting with his prospective bride. Oh, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff. Oh, my dove. He immediately reconnects with a word of endearment. Sometimes when things go wrong in life and in other relationships, we are faced with, with, with the judgmental rebuke that has the opposite effect of recovering and of reconnecting. As soon as the king addresses the bride, he does so with an address that draws her to himself. 
And we know that in the Bible, the dove is the dove of peace. We know that the dove is the bird that Noah sent out from the ark and that came back finally with a leaf in its mouth. We know that it's the dove that descended on the Lord Jesus on the day of his baptism. The dove is brought before us as those who are the the gentle, God-fearing people of God. And Hezekiah, who was sick to death, sick unto death, he had a a terminal illness. And we read in Isaiah chapter 38 that he moaned like a dove because his eyes were weary looking up to God. The dove is the child of God, is the disciple of the Lord Jesus, who is engaged with God, who is precious to God, and in whom the Spirit of God is working. And so when when I hear this address, it tells me, first of all, so much about the person who is making the address. So much of but his love and his care. And then it tells me so much about the person who is being addressed. And let's not lose sight of, of the wonder today that we can come out of our world into the world of the kingdom of God and of the preaching of the gospel. And no matter where we have been, that the word of Jesus comes to us with a word of endearment to reconnect with us. That he's not here today to to find fault. He is here in order to bring us back to himself. And when he addresses her, he draws her attention to the fact that distance has come into the relationship. Love has become cold. Distance can come into any relationship. And here is the dove, the, the, the bride who is precious to the king. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff. The dove has gone to that place which is inaccessible. And to that place which leaves her invisible. And that so often sums up where we plant ourselves away from God because of what we see in ourselves, that we distance ourselves and that we separate ourselves and that we become invisible as far as our relationship with the Lord Jesus is that we become invisible as far as our relationship with his people is, that we simply become invisible in everything that belongs to the kingdom of God. Instead of the dove being at the windows of of the, the cage and the house in which the dove should live, where she could see out and where the light could come in, she has gone away and hid herself in the cleft of the rock, and in the crannies of the cliff. If you want to hide yourself, 
You want to go to the crannies because that's exactly what the word means. It is the hiding place where one goes to hide himself and where one cannot be found. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff. A change has taken place. The time of singing of birds, the time of blossoming fruit is over. There is that sense of distance. And today I want us to think of what has caused that distance. And I want us to think of the whole idea of self-esteem. How we feel about ourselves and how we feel about ourselves as the children of God. Because as soon as we move from having high self-esteem where we feel good about ourselves and where we enjoy the respect of others and those around us, when we have low esteem, our relationships begin to break down. We become anxious, we become depressed. We become become addicted possibly to other things. There has been a plummeting in our whole experience from being one of assured love and strength of relationship to be in a place where, where nothing seems to be working. And because nothing seems to be working, I will throw myself into, into this cleft of the rock. And I become invisible in my relationship with God, in my relationship with the people of God, in my relationship with those who are around me. And that can be so true in my relationship with my God and with my Saviour that I lose sight of the beauty of Jesus Christ as my Saviour and that I get swallowed up in in navel-gazing in the sense that I'm looking at myself, seeing all of my faults, seeing all the bad things that I see about myself, and I will throw myself into a hidden life where I separate myself from everything else around me. And today, perhaps, you can ask yourself if you recognize yourself at any stage in life in that kind of process in your relationship with God, in that kind of process in your relationship with the people of God, that you make yourself invisible because of the low opinion that you have of yourself as a child of God. And how destructive that can be in everyday relationships. And how destructive that can be in our relationship with our God and with our Savior. And it is into that low self-esteem and into that, that place of becoming and making herself invisible, it is into that situation that he speaks. And what does he say? Let me see your face. The low opinion, the way in which 
she doesn't like herself anymore. The way in which we, we look at ourselves and, and, and we think we are nothing and nothing to look at. How much image is so important in the day in which we live and how much we become, become caught up with the fact that our image doesn't live to, uh, up to our own expectations and the expectations of others. And here the corrective is that Jesus wants us to think about ourselves not in uh, the terms in which we see ourselves, but in the terms in which he sees us. Let me see your face, for your face is lovely. As far as the king is concerned, when he sees the face of his bride, her face fills his heart with all that brings joy, with all that stirs up once more his love for her, with reminders of what their love means and what it includes and what it involves. And so today for, for you and for me, Jesus is speaking into our lives and he is wanting us to forget what we think we look like in the presence of God and to remember how the Lord Jesus sees us. To remember the way in which in Sephaniah chapter 3, for example, God rests in his love. He takes delight in his children. Let's Forget about what we think about ourselves. Let's think about who the Lord Jesus sees his children. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet. The voice of someone we love. To be a father or mother husband or wife or brother or sister and the voice is gone and we would do anything to hear the voice of the person whom we love and here is Jesus the king speaking to his bride let me hear your voice because your voice is so pleasant to my ears that it fills my heart with music that it gives me to rejoice and being reminded of my relationship with you and of your relationship with me. And when today, be because of how we see ourselves and because of the way in which we withdraw ourselves and because of the way in which we lose even the desire perhaps to pray and the engagement with God in prayer, the Lord Jesus is saying to us, let me hear your voice. Your voice is so sweet. The pleasure that the Lord Jesus gains and has when we pray to him. The reconnection. Perhaps today you came through the door and God is so far from you. 
and the very thought of the love of God doesn't come on your horizon. And here today, God is addressing that, that very situation and experience and reconnecting with you and causing you to, to look at him and to hear what he has to say, to understand what he thinks and to be encouraged by the way in which he sees you. The reconnection of the king with his bride, the reconnection of Jesus with his people. Secondly, we see in these verses a recovery. There is something to be recovered. Something has been lost. And when we read in verse 15, we read the reference to the vineyards Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. The vineyard represents the couple's loving relationship with each other. We read through our Bibles in Isaiah chapter 5, in Psalm number 80, part of which we sang, in John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am in the vine, we read through our Bibles and we understand that the vine and the vineyard speaks about the children of God and the people of God who are in covenant relationship with God and to whom and with which the, the Lord has entered into a loving relationship. The vineyard is the children of Israel and Jesus uses the whole idea in his parable on Matthew chapter 21, the master of the house planted a vineyard. He was wanting them to think of the knowledge that they had of their Bibles and the fact that the kingdom of God was the vineyard. So when I read vineyard, I read kingdom of God, I read church of God, I read people of God, and I read God's relationship with his people, the vineyard. And today it it captures everything that you and I are and should be in our relationship with God. The vineyard is your relationship with God and my relationship with God. And how that relationship works is described in the way in which the king addresses the bride. And what is the recovery? Catches the fox as the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. The foxes. Herod is described in the Bible in the New Testament as a fox. The fox is sly. The fox is cunning. The, cro- the fox goes around on his own. The fox works at night. The fox goes around seeking to find food to eat. The fox is very destructive. In the Old Testament, in in Ezekiel chapter 13, we see in that passage that the false teachers who lived in the days of Ezekiel, who led the people astray, who claimed that they had words from God when they did not, 
And they went out and they spoke what they thought should be spoken without hearing from God. We see in that passage, in verse number 3, that they are foolish prophets and that they are jackals or or foxes, that, that they are leading the people of God astray. And Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 7 that false teaching and false prophets are like ravening wolves in sheep's clothing. And here we have the foxes that spoil the vineyard. And by their nature, the fox cannot go through the fence. He cannot go through the wall. And because of that, the fox will dig under the fence and he will come into the vineyard and he will damage and destroy the fruit of the vineyard. The fox is destructive coming in in the night and taking away the benefit and the blossoming and the fruit of the vine. And the king is saying to the bride, catch the foxes for us. The question does arise, is it the the king that is saying this to the bride? Or is it, on the other hand, the bride that is saying this to her friends, to the daughters of Jerusalem around us? And it seems to be the case that she is looking for the help of others around her to address this problem and to catch the foxes and to put them out of the vineyard and to repair the breaches in the wall or the breaches in the fence. The little foxes. The little foxes that perhaps could be ignored when we're caught up with looking out for the larger foxes. And today, the Lord Jesus is speaking into our lives and he is asking us to think carefully about what breaches have been made on our relationship with our Savior and how these breaches have come about without us noticing them at the time and only now becoming aware of them because God is speaking into our lives and because we have lost the zeal and the power and and the vitality of this love We've lost the the special experience of of the love of Christ in our hearts. And all this has, has happened and has changed because of the things that have come into our lives. The distractions. The wrong teaching. It's great to have good teachers. We need good teachers who know the subject well, who will educate us and who will form our thinking through that. But bad teaching is so destructive and so subtle that from the things that we read and the things that we listen to, how do we know what's going on when, unless we truly appreciate the Word of God, the things that we listen to, the things that we read. And there is so much in our world seeking to indoctrinate our minds with truths that are simply not truths 
that that departures from what the Word of God requires of us and that leaves us thinking and choosing and going on along a way that is simply a way that is away from God. The distraction also of the world around us and its attractions. How these attractions can become gaping holes in the boundaries of our lives. How they can create an underground movement that comes along to to seek to erode our foundation as, as the children of God. How they come into our lives and and take away the, the blessing that we enjoyed and so that we've nothing left but the kind of dry branches that we see on dead bushes in our gardens. The life has gone. Catch us. Let's think today what we can do in our own lives to rescue and to recover and to bring us back to where we should be in a relationship with God. And let's catch for us the little foxes. Let's think not just of our individual personal responsibility, but let's work together to ensure that we identify all of the foxes, to ensure that we catch all of the foxes together, to ensure that we sling them out of the garden of our soul and the garden of the people of God and the vineyard of the people of God and to ensure together that we close all the breaches, repair the fences, rebuild the walls and close up all of the holes and to restore our personal relationship with God and to restore our collective relationship with the people of God, so that as the church of Jesus Christ in the world, we may have the joy and the peace and the love that God wants us to have and that he brought us together to enjoy. The recovery. And the closing that brings me thirdly to the revival. I see a dead bush in my garden and it really looks dead. There's no hope for it. And then because, for various reasons, whether it is the attention I give to it or or a change or feeding the soil or whatever happens, all of a sudden it begins to bud. It's been revived. And that's exactly what what God can do for us through this whole process that having heard his endearing voice having engaged in in the work of, of sorting out our lives and our hearts that we become revived and that's what we have in verse 16 and 17 my beloved is mine and I am his he graces among the lilies It's a simple statement on her part of the union and of the loving relationship with them. Nothing can be closer than to say, my beloved is mine and I am his. And this statement that she does make 
she shows to us the, the assurance that she has, not only of her love for him, but his love for her. I am his. My beloved is mine. There is that embrace in her heart that fills up the whole of her life and the whole of her thinking with the king who is to be the bridegroom. I am his and he is mine. And right through the Bible we see the beauty of this relationship. And we see in Ephesians chapter 5 the way in which Paul speaks about the relationship of husband and wife and the union between Christ and the church and two becoming one flesh. The marvel of that union. And the marvel of that union is this, that it is a union sealed by the blood of the Lord Jesus that secures our marriage relationship with him that will never be broken and that will never fail. And that's the revival. It's realizing the preciousness of the cost of the love of God when he gave his son and when his son gave himself. And when I see that my love arises out of the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured on Calvary's cross, how marvelous, how wonderful that there is such a beautiful relationship. He graces among the least. The faith is revived. The beauty of having a refreshing, revived view of all that Jesus is, of all that he has done, and of all that he means to me. What does he mean to you today? Do you sense something, even if it is with hesitation, of, of reaching out and saying, yes, I want him to be mine, and I want me to be his, the reaching out and laying hold of the love of God as it is in Jesus. The reviving of faith and the reviving of hope until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. Turn towards me and as, I, as I come out of this cleft of the rocks and as I, as I fly away to where I should be, turn towards me so that you can see my face and I can see your face. And then when, when that takes, takes place and when, when it takes place and, and the shadows are all removed, everything that stands between me and you, all of the cloudy issues that come between me and you, when the day breathes, when the breeze of the early morning lifts away the, the clouds of the early morning dew, then be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountain. In other words, whilst I wait for the day of the marriage, may you in your power come across 
every mountain and over every cleft rock. And by your power, continue to make yourself known and excite this, my heart. And keep me focused on, on the marriage supper where at last we shall be together forever. And that's, that's revival. Revival doesn't stop at my faith embracing my Savior. Revival takes me to there. But when it takes me to the Savior who died for me, it takes me to the Savior who will return at last and who will gather me to himself. That's revival. That my life is filled with the excitement of his love and with the excitement of the expectation of his coming. When I shall see him, whom, says Peter, although you haven't seen him, you still love him. But John goes on to say, we don't know yet what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The rekindling of love for Jesus, the reconnection, we pray that God reconnects with our hearts today. The, the recovery, we pray that we would be willing to do this work that is so necessary to bring us to where we should be. And we pray for the outcome of that, the personal revival, the, the congregational revival, the community revival, the people caught up with the love of God in Jesus and the expectation of Jesus' return. What a day that would be if it begins now in our turning to God and in our crying out to him. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we do give thanks to you that you will never leave us alone, that you are the God who speaks into our lives and who does so to win our hearts for yourself. And help us, O oh Lord God, to hear what you have to say to us today. Help us to turn to you. Help us to love you with all our hearts. And oh, help us to know your love for us. Help us to appreciate how much you value us as your children. And help us to have joy in you, in the assurance of your love. And bless us today and go with us into this coming week with that sense of power and of love in our lives from day to day. We ask all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. The closing psalm is Psalm number 31 in the Scottish Psalter on page 243. Psalm 31 at verse 21. All praise and thanks be to the Lord, for he hath magnified his wondrous love to me within a city fortified. From verse 21 to the end of the psalm to God's praise. All praise and thanks be
We'll stand with our benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.